several miles off the main highway, tucked away in a secluded canyon on prime vineyard property, stands a rustic barn that was built many decades before the vines around it were planted. In that barn, a sophisticated broadcast and recording studio has been built. The barn also has a well-hidden root cellar stocked with many of the world's most exceptional wines, only to be shared with guests who secretly come to offer their insights and tell their stories. Guests are sworn to secrecy and are shuttled to the studio aboard a John Deere tractor. Those who cannot make the journey in person are interviewed by satellite hookup, and sometimes the crew simply sneaks away with microphones in hand and interviews guests in barrel rooms, wine cellars, and other magical places. All of this is done like clockwork every single week so that we can bring you another episode of Grape Encounters Radio. Peel me a grape Crush me some ice Skin me a peach Save the fuzz for my pillow Talk to me I am so excited to take the show on the road for the very first time in 2016. It was an absolute necessity to get out of the studio and into the brand new world headquarters of Sunset Magazine, home of Sarah Schneider, wine editor of Sunset Magazine, and now major contributor to the show for more than two years. And Sarah, we're in your new digs in Oakland, California. And welcome. It is very new. We've only been here about three weeks now. Like totally different than the other place, but it's a completely different vibe, much more modern and hip. But you've got a view that looks right out. Is that the harbor that I'm looking at there? It's the Jack London Square Marina that we're looking over. And and from my desk, I actually had to push my chair up a little bit so I could see over my computer because in the background behind the marina, I look off to the San Francisco skyline. It's a terrific view. Well, I know that you had beautiful views of a different sort from your old office because you had your own gardens there and you know it was a much more kind of laid back place and those gardens were iconic we had a lovely place this is a huge change for sunset you know sunset is almost 120 years old i think we started in 1898 and the building was from the 50s and it was iconic it's historic a cliff may design and it was comfortable it was beautiful architecturally peaceful i'm wanting to say like the old mission style um, houses this is a totally modern setting now. We have a sort of industrial design. It's architecturally really interesting, but it's just a completely different atmosphere. Well, I think it's kind of fun to change things up. Is that actually Jack London's cabin that's out there in the square, or is that a replica? It is not. It has always been a saloon. It's called Heinhold's First and Last Chance Saloon. Really? And it actually was a place where Jack London hung out right there when he was a kid, because the Heinholds were sort of surrogate parents for him. So there are pictures of him sitting right there. In the earthquake, it got all cattywonky. The floor tilted, and the floor still tilts. They've, sh- <laughs> they, they've shored it up, but when you walk in, it just slides away from you. Don't set your beer down. That's, it's going to be on the other side of the room. That's our new meeting place out there. Well, I know that we have listeners, I was going to say all over the country, but now all over the world, and some may not be familiar with Sunset Magazine just because it tends to focus on the western part of the U.S., Right. but Sunset Magazine is a publication of Time, Inc. Yes. And then you have Southern Living as well. That's right. What are some of the other magazines that are under the Time, Inc. umbrella? Well, there's Time, 
to start yeah, with. Time magazine. <laughs> Time yeah, magazine. Yeah. Fortune, money. Um, those are some of the business titles. We have an entertainment side with People and Entertainment Weekly. And then there's a whole lifestyle with cooking light, coastal living, health. This old house and Southern living is, is a biggie. Southern living and Sunset Magazine, I believe, are the two largest lifestyle magazines in the country, are they not? Yes. Well, don't quote me on that. We can get some fact checkers on it, but I believe that that is true. Sunset isn't as well known just because it's in the western part of the country. How many readers are there for Sunset Magazine? We have five million readers. Yeah, five million readers. Right, yeah, right. that's a lot. It seems like a big number. Do you feel a big responsibility every time you write something, <laughs> knowing that there are so many people that live and die by your word when it comes to wine? I just mean that metaphorically speaking. You know, it's funny when when we're in our office and I'm tasting here, I don't have that in my mind. It's sort of a personal decision if I'm recommending a wine. I really appreciate this wine. And so I put it into a story. And then every once in a while, I get this shock when I get reactions from people out there. And I suddenly realize, oh my goodness, people out there are reading this and following advice. And I love that, that they trust Sunset. But if I held that in my head all the time, I would be nervous about every decision. I think you do have to just write for yourself. And you know that's the same thing with Grape Encounters. I don't worry about what other people are going to think. I just do what my heart tells me to do. And it's very interesting because we opened up a year ago the Grape Encounters Emporium, which is our brick-and-mortar version of Grape Encounters, which was meant to be a hangout for listeners to come when they come to the enormous Central Coast wine country. They can come in and they can enjoy the kinds of wines that I advocate for, which are typically the value wines that are, you know, between $20 a bottle, let's say 25 and uh, let's say 45 50 sure. And that's where I think the greatest opportunities are for wine. And just this last weekend, somebody was sitting down in the wine bar and looked at me and said, I have tasted more than a dozen wines here, and I have loved every single one of them. That's really remarkable. And I said, well, what did you expect? And I made the point to this person that we only carry wines that I personally love. (laughs) And and, and so many wine stores, I don't care what you walk into, they, for reasons that are very complicated are carrying things that in their heart they know are not right right for the consumer right. but they have to do it because if you buy 10 cases of this then you can get this thing over here at a cheaper price and that's how the business works or there are just personal relationships that dictate that we're going to carry the entire line from winery XYZ right and no winery that I know of makes nothing but perfect wines <laughs> That's true. Right. It's complicated. So that's why we curate things. We make picks. So one of the things that we're doing at the Emporium starting next week is I'm blending wine with beer. Ooh, now you're on the cutting edge. And I got to tell you, I have tested a couple of different formulations and it's amazing. It's so delicious. For instance, the first one that I did was a New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc that's got those real tropical notes in it and grapefruit flavor and right. other things. Then I blended that with a beer that also has grapefruit notes in it. 
And I don't want to give all this away. I'm not going <laughs> to give names. So I'm being a little cryptic because next week we'll talk about it. You put the two together and it's one part beer and two parts wine, basically. Interesting. And you get this beautiful sort of frizzante presentation. It's so delicious and unusual. And next time we're together, I will do it with you. I would love to and, taste and that. And you'll be shocked. Yeah. But it's not prostituting the wine or the beer. It just happens to work. So these are the kinds of things that I want people to be able to experience. But this has nothing to do with what we were going to talk about today. (laughs) That happens. All right. So we're into 2016. 2015, one of the most up and down roller coaster years in wine, perhaps in decades. It really was on all sorts of levels. And Um, we we kind of reflected last week about that over the phone. On a business level, I think wineries were doing quite well, especially in in certain layers of prices. Uh, People were buying more and more wine. You know, what's really amazing is that I know a number of winemakers and grape growers who really got pummeled because of the bizarre weather conditions. Uh And again, the problem with the harvest this last year wasn't necessarily the drought. It was an early bud break and then cold weather that came along and wiped out so much of what was on the vines. Nick Goldschmidt, rock star winemaker, had explained to me also that the prior year kind of dictates the bud break for the next year. And I don't completely understand the dynamics of that. But essentially what he was saying was that this problem was predestined just because of interesting the, the way that the grapes are all freaked out by the weather. Right. But what I was going to say is there were a lot of winemakers that I've talked to who literally had their crops devastated. They were down 80% or maybe they didn't even bother to harvest because it was such a problem. It was so bad. And they take it really well. Yeah. Nobody was crying in their beer or their wine. You know, they're in agriculture. You know, they're farmers. This, this is a farmed product. And it's interesting in wine, what they're selling is from three years ago in general or two years ago. And what's happening this year is going to affect them two years down the road on what they have to sell. So it seems like an interesting perspective. It's stretched out more than most businesses are in their inventory and cash flow. You would have to have a long view perspective on it. And it's funny because there is this thing out there that I wasn't aware of, and it's called crop insurance. Right. And it's really expensive from what I understand. But I don't think I would be in the business without having crop insurance, <laughs> especially with things as topsy-turvy as they are right the way, now. Yeah, with the way the weather patterns are going now, it is just getting a little bit uncertain, I guess you could say. All right. So we're going to extend our conversation that we started last week with Wes Hagen about trends because uh, the things that I am sure you're going to talk about are going to be different than the things that Wes and I talked about. And I really want to continue that conversation because it's so fascinating to me about where we're going in this very fluid industry. No pun intended, but it is very (laughs) fluid. (laughs) Anyway, so we'll do that next. Okay, sounds great. All right, we'll be back with more Grape Encounters, and we're coming to you from the brand spanking new world headquarters of Sunset Magazine. I'm sitting with our beloved Sarah Schneider, wine editor of Sunset, in the Jack London Square in Oakland, an absolutely extraordinary view out of the ocean, and we'll return in just a moment. We like to talk about... Wine. If you work in the wine industry or are a wine lover that spends more than $25 a bottle, you should not be without the all-new Coravin Model 2 Wine Access System. The Coravin is a game changer, allowing you to extract as little or as much wine from the bottle without removing the foil or the cork. As wine is poured from the bottle, inert argon replaces it, keeping the remaining wine inside absolutely pristine. 
That means you can drink the remaining wine in a week, month, or a year from now without any chance of oxidation or spoilage. The Coravin is the brainchild of a medical devices inventor who was tired of seeing delicious wine go bad because it wasn't consumed in one sitting. Today, it's the most important tool any wine enthusiast can own. The new Coravin Model 2 is available online at GrapeEncounters.com. Or if you're on California's Central Coast, you can see a demonstration or pick yours up at the Grape Encounters Emporium in Atascadero. Learn more about the Coravin at GrapeEncounters.com. A lot of people ask me why Manzanita Manor's incredible Portuguese dessert wine is called Two Horse. Well, the reason behind the name is as extraordinary as the wine itself. It's because the owner and winemaker at Manzanita Manor Organics actually uses two beautiful horses to pull the plow on her farmland. When you take your very first sip of the Two Horse Vineyard's irresistible dessert wine, you'll immediately experience the winemaker's unparalleled connection to the land. It's what really makes it so good. You can purchase this exceptional wine online, as well as their purely delicious walnut oil, 100% organic heirloom walnuts, and free trade chocolate-covered walnuts. To learn more about all the Manzanita Manor Organics products, visit mmorganics.com. You can order all their walnut products there, and bottles of two horse, of course. Purchase and shipping subject to state and local regulations. Please see mmorganics.com for more information. And now, Grape Encounters with David Wilson continues. Stop, stop them grapes and make that wine. Put it in a bottle, boys, and ship it on down the line. Back with Grape Encounters Radio and coming to you this week from the brand new world headquarters of Sunset Magazine, the nesting place of Sarah Schneider, not just the wine editor of Sunset, but the major contributor to Grape Encounters. Oh, it's not a financial contributor. (laughs) Yeah. It's good to have you here, David. Yeah. I thought it would be fun to come here and enjoy this new environment that you're in in Oakland. And uh, when we get off the air, I'm going to just roam around and, you know, have some good food. And you should. Is there any place to buy seafood around here to take home? Well, there's a seafood joint right around the corner called Jack's Oyster Bar, but I don't think they have retail seafood. The seafood in this area is fantastic. Yeah. Although our listeners in New England are going, what are you talking about? Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So let's continue the conversation that we started. And when I say we, we who contributed to last week's show, which was also Wes Hagen, started about what to expect in 2016. And here's where I'd like to start. I'd like to start by talking about wines that are making a run for popularity right now and wines that are being well-received by the public. And I would love to hear your ideas about this. And we haven't talked about this at all. We haven't at all. I'm interested in what you think is coming to the front. Okay, I will tell you. Okay. I mean, you know what? Last year, we really talked uh, Petite Syrah. Yes. And Mm -hmm. even a little bit of Petite Verdot, though that didn't materialize. Not much happening in the Petite Verdot world. Right. It has a ways uh, to go. There are some things that I'm seeing a lot of that I think are pretty interesting, but I want to start with you. Okay. Well, I am seeing more and more, and this is just a continuation of what I think was going on, more and more interest in white wines that aren't Chardonnay and aren't even Sauvignon Blanc. The alternative
alternatives out there. I think Grenache Blanc is getting more and more important in that white world. All right, I'm going to stop you right now. Okay. My favorite white wine. Seriously, I did not know that about you. I love that wine. I love it, love it, love it. And I think that there's probably more that can be done with the wine than's being done with it right now. But a lot of people are planning it now. That is good to know. You're based closer to vineyards than I am here in Oakland. Honestly, I do. (laughs) And I think the Central Coast where you are, Central Coast of California, is going to be ground zero for some of the Grenache Blancs coming out. And Viognier. And Viognier. Viognier's always been sort of percolating its way up to a more prominent position. But I still think a lot of people have yet to discover that wine because they can't pronounce it. It's hard. It's not Viognier. That's a strike against it. But it's funny, you know, they're both white Rhone varieties. And for some reason, we glommed on to, or vineyard people did, um, they attached to Viognier more than the other um, white Rhone varieties. And I'm not sure why it became the most important planted one here first instead of Grenache Blanc, because it seems to me that Grenache Blanc is really behaving nicely here. Well, a very odd thing is, is that Viognier is being added to a lot of red wine blends or just single varietal red wines, like for instance, Syrah, right. to tone it down a little bit, to take a wine that is a little bit over the top and settle it down and add some floral notes yeah, to it. a few aromatics. And, and I'm seeing that happening a lot. You'll see where somebody has added one or two or three or 5% of Viognier, just a little bit, yeah. a touch. There's a good history of that in the Rhone region of France. They co-ferment the Viognier with the Syrah. Yeah, but Grenache Blanc is a wine that I think is more interesting than Viognier and is really a treat to drink. For starters, I love Grenache Blanc on a hot day. Yeah, it's brighter, more Ice vibrant. cold and it's mm-hmm. just delicious. Yeah. But tell me more about why you think Grenache Blanc ought to be more popular and is it going to make it? I think it is. So if we're comparing to Viognier, Viognier can get flabby um, if it's allowed to get too ripe. Um, and they say it needs to get ripe or you've got some off flavors there. So it quickly gets blousy and flabby and too big and, and too viscous to me. Grenache Blanc breaks through with this crisp acidity and it just has verve. And I think that's the kind of wine more people are going to want with the food that we eat. You know, we put all sorts of spicy fusion food on our tables or we order it out. And it really can kill a flabby wine like Viognier or an over-oaked Chardonnay. It can be really bad with some of the Asian fusion foods that we tend to love. And there's a lot of vinegar in the sauces that we we use. And that can be a real wine and, and killer. And why do people do that, by the way? It's completely off topic, but it really is an important thing to put out. Stay away from vinegar <laughs> with your meals. Don't order the vinaigrette dressing for your salad when you've got wine on the table because vinegar is the anti-wine. It is, but those are fighting words for me. Really? I love vinegar in my foods. I love salads for one thing. I... But when I'm making, say, a simple soup, I often put lemon juice in it or some vinegar just to brighten it up. But you're right. Those are wine killers. Okay. Brighten it up is one thing. But when you're talking about a vinaigrette dressing on a salad that is clearly mostly vinegar, it's made up from mostly vinegar, that is going to be an ingredient that is going to change that wine radically when you taste it. Absolutely. And you better test it before you put it out there for your dinner guests because it could really crash your whole meal. Yep. It has the potential to do that. And there are tricks. You can up the percentage of olive oil, say, and that helps the the relationship with the wine. You can use fruit
fruit juices like orange juice instead of vinegar, and that lowers the acidity. You know what Are I you do? Champagne? You know what I do? I use the very same wine that I'm serving on the table as a main ingredient in the dressing itself for the salad. Oh, that's a great idea. Not bad, huh? Not bad. But you know what? I know this is really going to disgust you. <laughs> I would put ranch dressing on used kitty litter and eat it because <laughs> ranch dressing, good ranch dressing, you know, not the okay, bottle. You just, the you just pulled it out. Yeah, I yeah, know. A really good uh, homemade ranch dressing. I would just put that on anything. Yeah. It still has a tang to it. A little bit. happens to be really good with Sauvignon Blanc. Uh, really? Or Grenache Blanc. Boy, we should yeah. just do that. A whole we... ranch dressing pairing. <laughs> do you know ranch dressing is the <gasps> most popular condiment in America? Seriously? Even over More ketchup. Than... Even over ketchup. Over salsa? Oh. We're going to have to fact check this, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I think so. But uh, anyway, we're getting way off topic. <laughs> All right. We're talking about wine trends for the year 2016. Uh, this might be a discussion of things we hope will happen as well. And that's fine too. But we're talking now about wines that are going to be more popular than ever in 2016. Uh, Sarah is saying Grenache Blanc, which is just an astoundingly delicious wine. Not that easy to find in retail stores just yet. Not yet. It's creeping in, creeping in more and more. But you can buy your wines online. Right. I can tell you that if you buy a Grenache Blanc from the central coast of California, you are going to be very satisfied with that wine. It's a wine that doesn't get messed up too easily in the winemaking process. I would agree with you there. You almost don't need a recommendation um, from the Central Coast. They are almost all terrific. Isn't it funny how there are certain wines that are hard to screw up? <laughs> and then there are wines that are just so easy to screw up. Number one being Pinot. Pinot Noir. Yeah, right. the most easy one to screw mm. up. And that's why I always say 90% of the Pinot out there just completely sucks because it does. <laughs> Because it's easy to, to mess up, yet people want to grow Pinot because they think they're going to have a cash cow in that grape. I hope that in 2016, Pinot starts to back way off. You know, it might. It was just planted in all sorts of places where it shouldn't be planted because there was this run for Pinot Noir after that infamous movie. But people come to their senses. You know, and th- there's another red grape that I think is poised for a comeback that actually did this a decade ago. All right, don't say it because we got to take a quick break. And I'm going to try. <laughs> try to in the next couple of minutes, guess what it's going to be. Okay. And we'll be back with more Grape Encounters. And on the show all day today is Sarah Schneider, wine editor from Sunset Magazine, one of the two largest lifestyle publications. It's a Time Inc. publication. And Sarah being a major contributor to this show for the past two years. And we're in the Time Inc. offices of Sunset in Oakland, California, in the Jack London Square. That's a mouthful. We'll be back with more Grape Encounters after this. Want to know David's very favorite products for wine lovers? You can see them at GrapeEncounters.com. GrapeEncounters.com is where you'll find a hand-picked selection of products and accessories for wine enthusiasts that you aren't likely to find most other places. The selection of must-have wine-related products is awesome. So are the low prices. We have the all-new Coravin plus accessories, gifts, wine games, collectibles, and so much more at GrapeEncounters.com. You'll love the unique wine products waiting for you at GrapeEncounters.com. Grape Encounters Radio is based in Atascadero, California for good reason. It's the heart of the Central Coast wine country and the perfect home base for endless adventures. Atascadero is friendly, affordable, and offers unparalleled access to world-class equestrian ranches, bicycle trails, hiking, breathtaking beaches, cutting-edge culinary experiences, and endless wine country adventures. Learn more about Atascadero the gateway to good times at visitatascadero.com. 
Dining in and broadcasting from one of the world's finest wine regions makes it virtually impossible not to make frequent references to the multitude of amazing things going on here on the central coast of California. Grape Encounters Radio has built one of the world's most unique wine bars so that you can have the opportunity to come to the city of Atascadero and enjoy great wines and equally good conversation with me and other visitors. Best of all, my favorite hotel in the area is literally right across the street. The historic Carlton Hotel with accommodations that are both beautiful and affordable. The Carlton Hotel takes you back to a glorious time in California history. And now that the wine industry has ushered in yet another exciting new chapter here on the Central Coast, you can experience the best of then and now. Book your accommodations at the lovingly restored Carlton Hotel in Atascadero. Then, let me help you plan daily excursions that will create a lifetime of unforgettable memories. You'll find a link to the Carlton Hotel at GrapeEncounters.com. And now, Grape Encounters with David Wilson continues. You'll be on my mind Back with Grape Encounters Radio coming to you this week from the new headquarters of Sunset Magazine in Oakland, California, in the Jack London Square. Sitting with me across the table is Sarah Schneider, the wine editor for Sunset. How long have you been with the magazine now? I've been here 20 years. Wow. I have not been the wine editor that long. But, but you've been with the magazine for 20. How long as wine editor? Uh, it's been since 2005, so 11 years. I'm going on my 11th year now okay. as wine editor. That's a long time. Mm-hmm. It is. It's a lot of wine down the hatch. All right. So when we went into the break from last segment, uh, you were about to tell me what the red wine is that was doing well, I think, 10 years ago. How did you phrase it? It had a role 10 years ago. It was discovered, was a darling and then kind of took a back seat. And I think it's poised to come back again because it just is too good a wine not to take a starring role. Oh gosh, you know, so there are three wines that come to mind here. So I'm probably not going to get this right, but I'd almost have to say it's Syrah. No, okay. that's not what so I So then I'm going to go to the other two. Really? I mean, well, Syrah's been trying to make a run for years now. It has. Really. I'm not sure and it, it ever was. And it started about 10 years ago, yeah. I think. I'm not sure it was ever a, a star. I love Syrah though. Oh, I do too. I love yeah. Syrah. Okay. Okay, so it's not Syrah. So I'm wrong. So I'm going to say that it's either going to be Cab Franc or Sangiovese. It's neither of what? those. I can't believe I'm stumping you oh, with this no, one. Oh, no, 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 no. It's got to be Merlot. <laughs> there you go. Oh, gosh. It is How Merlot. stupid. Well, that was the obvious one. <laughs> You're making me feel better. Okay. Because <laughs> <laughs> I get things wrong all the time. Well, I know, but don't you think that all three that I mentioned are wines that are starting sure. to get some attention again? Right. You said Cab Franc Cab and Franc, Sangiovese. Uh, Sangiovese. They say and Syrah. Syrah. All three have huge potential. Well, here's something, and we'll we'll come back to Merlot because that's my favorite topic of all topics <laughs> is to talk about Merlot, the most unfairly maligned grape of all time. Isn't that the truth? Wow, yeah. it didn't yeah. deserve it. Yeah. It's the, it's the Cinderella of grapes. <laughs> and I tell you what, you drink some good Merlot out of a glass slipper, and you're going to be in heaven. That's right. That's all right. right. But what I did want to say is Cab Franc, Sangiovese, and Syrah, amazing wine. But I think that people are really getting into the Cab Franc and the Sangiovese. Oh, I think so too. Well, Sangiovese wasn't very good in this country for a long time, but I think winemakers 
are doing better and better at it and figuring out where it really can grow and where it can't. So it's getting to be a better wine. And explain to listeners what Sangiovese really is, what we mostly know it as. <laughs> mostly we know it as Chianti from Italy. And maybe it got a bad rap in our early days when we were drinking Chianti in wicker basket bottles. And Are those and, still around? I haven't, I haven't seen one of those in ages. I think they are. I think you can find them in wine shops. Why um, did they do in, that with the wicker baskets? Was it to keep the bottle a little cooler? You know, I can't answer that. That is a great question. It had to have a purpose. It, it must have. I don't think it was just like, let's just put wicker around it. And so people use these as candle holders on the other end. Yeah, and then eventually <laughs> the wicker would catch fire right. when enough wax went down it. Right. But I, I, it must have served some kind of a purpose. But I'm, we, I'm sure we, it did. we digress. We'll have to look into that. Cab Franc is one that I think is really surprising people. And the more that I pour Cab Franc for guests, the more I am convinced that Cab Franc might even be a better wine, all-purpose drinking wine than Cabernet Sauvignon. Oh, that's an interesting point. Are those fighting um, words? Not quite fighting words, okay. but I can be devil's advocate here. Okay, go ahead. You know, Cabernet Franc has always been a supporting role, a supporting player. I guess the analogy works now that we're kind of into the film season with the Oscars coming up. Yeah, but it wasn't always a supporting player. Cabernet Franc was Cabernet Sauvignon's father. That's true. And Cabernet Franc had an illicit affair with Sauvignon Blanc, <laughs> and they had it a happens. love child named Cabernet Sauvignon, and Cab Franc was always the big daddy back in those days. Well, that's true. And then Cabernet that's Sauvignon true. came along and literally betrayed his father by upstaging him. It's it's a more powerful wine, Cabernet Sauvignon, and I, I think in our drinking world, big got to be a virtue. It's so big, I've heard friends say about a wine they just love. But Cabernet Franc has nuances. It has those floral aromatics that can just be gorgeous, but I think it takes a little more work to make it a balanced wine on its own. That I don't know. Okay, I'll accept that. Let's move on. <laughs> okay, let's go over to Merlot because it's funny. People not only have an aversion to drinking Merlot, they will literally, when I offer somebody a glass of Merlot, they will look at me like I'm about to poison them because this wine has been beat up so badly yeah. and so unfairly because, frankly, made right, there isn't a better wine on the planet. Right. And maybe the problem, besides bad press, is that a lot of people have drunk some very, very cheap Merlot. And at some of those levels, when it's made in bulk, it becomes sort of just a generic red wine. Nothing wrong with it, but nothing great to write home about. Right. But when it's made from terrific vineyards with a, you know, a crafts, craftsman hand on it. It's a wine that has structure, but elegant structure. The tannins don't tend to pound you over the it, head. It is, it is the red wine that is most capable of being an iron fist in a velvet glove. I would agree with that. You would. That's what they say about the wines from the Stag's Leap District in Napa. Yeah. yeah. And Yeah, it's so smooth and supple. Now what I do, Sarah, when I want somebody to try Merlot, and especially when somebody says, I hate Merlot, don't pour me any Merlot, I'll 
I'll wait until that discussion sort of settles down, and then I'll go grab a bottle of Merlot. And the one I usually grab is a Merlot made by Adam Lazar, oh. <laughs> who uh, you know, and he, I do know he makes Adam. amazing wines. And this Merlot that he makes is just gorgeous. And so I'll just cover the label with my hand, and I'll pour it, and they'll say, what is that? You know, what are you pouring me? And I'll say, no, just taste it and enjoy it. Something really special. And they'll taste it, and they'll go gaga for it. Not Lady Gaga, but they'll go gaga <laughs> for it. And then uh, a little later, I will show them it's Merlot. And you know what they do? They want some. You know, blind tasting is the reckoner of things. You know, truth comes out if people don't exactly know for sure what they're drinking ahead of time. I opened a bottle of Merlot the other night. I wasn't even familiar with the label, but it was from Red Mountain, Washington, Little Region. Really? Yeah. And I have more to say about Washington, but but I took a sip of this. I, I let it breathe a little bit and splashed it around a little bit, took a sip, and I was just blown away. The just gorgeous dark cherry fruit and some some mocha. And it reminded me that Merlot in Washington State, especially, it's a serious wine. I mean, up there, they tend to splash a little Cabernet into it to soften it up. Whereas in California, they splash a little Merlot into their Cabernet to soften it up. They've got the opposite going on up there. Wow. Yeah. Well, I will tell you this too, that what's interesting about Merlot, and I've said this on the show before, is that when it was really in its heyday, it was selling for about 5000 dollars a ton, the grapes. And I think now it sells for around $1,500 Is that a ton right? for grapes, or maybe it's gone up. Uh, maybe there's a winemaker who could drop us a line and let us know. But last I heard, it was you know somewhere around $1,500, $2,000. So it got kicked in the teeth. And the result of that, however, for consumers is really good news because you can buy great Merlot for not nearly as much as great Cabernet. And if you go buy a great Merlot, I swear to you, you will love it. Actually, that doesn't make sense. Of course, if you buy a great wine, they'll love it. But what I really mean is, is that instead of paying eighty or a hundred dollars for a really awesome Cabernet, you can spend thirty or forty dollars for a really great Merlot. You know, half the price or less, and you'll enjoy it more. Unless we keep talking about it so much that the prices start going up. Oh, let's shut up, shall we? <laughs> I think maybe. <laughs> All right, forget everything we said. We just got a minute left in this segment. We'll come back, but I did want to mention something about Syrah, and it's this: we're seeing a ton of what we call GSMs, Grenache, Syrah, Moved. And this is where Syrah is making a huge comeback because I think that blend is really, really delicious. Those three wines work together like, you know, in harmony, like nothing I've ever seen. Everybody loves GSM. And if you're not familiar with the term GSM, you will be because you're going to be seeing it everywhere. I agree. And that's how Syrah is going to make yeah. a comeback. And, and that term will become known this year, I think. Really? You think so too? GSM, yeah. Yeah, GSM is household gonna, household term. It's going to be a year. household word in the wine business and I will tell you you will find GSMs to be absolutely delightful because you've got this really big Syrah in there and then Grenache, which to me is kind of a one-dimensional wine. A juicy wine. Yeah, mm -hmm. but much lighter than the Syrah and then this Moved that sort of is the glue that brings everything together and I want to talk about that a little bit too, but got to take a break, Sarah. Okay. Shall we re fill our glasses? Maybe. This would be a good time yeah, to do that. It would. All right. I'm going to grab the corkscrew and you all listen to what our advertisers have to say because this is, we only put ads on the show that are really going to help you. So check it out. We'll be back here in just a couple of secs. This is Grape Encounters Radio coming to you from the world headquarters of Sunset Magazine in Oakland, California. 
Connecting winemakers, wine lovers, wine adventures, and all things wine from around the globe. You are listening to Grape Encounters Radio with David Wilson, broadcasting from our wine cellar studio in idyllic Atascadero, centrally located in the Central Coast wine country of San Luis Obispo County, California. Do, 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 do. Wine. Want to know David's very favorite products for wine lovers? You can see them at GrapeEncounters.com. GrapeEncounters.com is where you'll find a hand-picked selection of products and accessories for wine enthusiasts that you aren't likely to find most other places. The selection of must-have wine-related products is awesome. So are the low prices. We have the all-new Corbin plus accessories, gifts, wine games, collectibles, and so much more at GrapeEncounters.com. You'll love the unique wine products waiting for you at GrapeEncounters.com. Grape Encounters Radio is based in Atascadero, California for good reason. It's the heart of the Central Coast wine country and the perfect home base for endless adventures. Atascadero is friendly, affordable, and offers unparalleled access to world-class equestrian ranches, bicycle trails, hiking, breathtaking beaches, cutting-edge culinary experiences, and endless wine country adventures. Learn more about Atascadero. The gateway to good times at visitatascadero.com. If you work in the wine industry or are a wine lover that spends more than $25 a bottle, you should not be without the all-new Coravin Model 2 Wine Access System. The Coravin is a game changer, allowing you to extract as little or as much wine from the bottle without removing the foil or the cork. As wine is poured from the bottle, inert argon replaces it, keeping the remaining wine inside absolutely pristine. That means you can drink the remaining wine in a week, month, or a year from now without any chance of oxidation or spoilage. The Coravin is the brainchild of a medical devices inventor who was tired of seeing delicious wine go bad because it wasn't consumed in one sitting. Today, it's the most important tool any wine enthusiast can own. The new Coravin Model 2 is available online at GrapeEncounters.com. Or if you're on California's Central Coast, you can see a demonstration or pick yours up at the Grape Encounters Emporium in Atascadero. Learn more about the Coravin at GrapeEncounters.com. She once described a wine as a dusty old trunk from the attic, and we were all glad she was doing the sipping. It's Sipping with Sarah with Sunset Magazine's Sarah Schneider on Grape Encounters Radio with David Wilson. When you fade. With Grape Encounters Radio, delighted to have Sarah Schneider, wine editor of Sunset Magazine. We're doing a whole show together today, Sarah. It's been a long time since we did that. That's special. We're I'm, making I'm up honored. for lost times. I got okay. a lot of complaints because you weren't on for a month. Aww. You know, people missed you, but we had stuff, other stuff that got in the way, and I'm sorry and about that. And I was that, busy listeners. drinking. <laughs> <laughs> well, we got you sobered up and back behind the mic. No, you don't ever. ever. We're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks, by yeah. the way, overindulging at tasting opportunities. Oh, the new year is the time to talk. All right. So we 
we are unfortunately in our last segment of the show, so we got to nail down some other trends, and I'm just going to turn it over to you and let me know what you think. Okay. I am going to go out here with a wine country trend. What you find when you actually visit wine regions now, I think that this next year, the experience that you have in a winery is going to get bigger and better and longer and more important because I think wineries are figuring out that they want to keep you there and impress you with their wine. And I'm not being cynical about this at all. They want to sell you wine direct instead of through the distribution system because Absolutely true. that is getting more and more important to their business models. And because of that, the experience that you have in their winery makes a big, big difference. So I think programs are going to come along. They already are with special food pairings, with classes, with serious seminars, more blending your own and more fun. Keep you there, have a picnic, have some sort of make your own experience where you will just go away a total fan of that do, winery. Do you think that wineries will do what Las Vegas did, which is to make themselves more kid-friendly so that people who really don't have the opportunity to go wine tasting because they have no place to send the kids, they can now bring them along and the kids can go to Wino World while mom and dad... <laughs> Well, mom and dad oh, are tasting. You know what? You're hitting me in a sore spot. You do I, not want that to happen. I am not really in favor of that. I'm not sure. I mean, I am actually very much in favor of kids being part of the wine world of their parents. But bringing kids to tasting rooms is a mixed bag. So far, they really aren't places for kids, even though, yes, the answer to what you just asked me is, yes, I think people are going to do that more and more because they want younger parents in. But it still makes it a little bit harder for other people who are trying to have an adult weekend away. So we, of course, have a wine tasting room and a woman came in one time with a child in tow and we had to politely tell her that she could not be in a wine bar with a child. And so she promptly got on Yelp and gave us one star, Oh no! which, by the way, is the only rating less than five that we've ever gotten. Oh, <laughs> And then That's wrote cruel. that we were child haters. Oh, dear. Because we we're obeying the laws of yeah. this land. And I agree with you. One of the things that I really strongly feel is that in a tasting room, it's an opportunity for adults to be adult. It's right. not Chuck E. Cheese. Right, right. But I do think that there is room for, let's say, in wine country, a place where you could responsibly take your kids, you know, like a camp or something like that. Sure. No, it, it could be done well. It really could. I am only talking about how it's been done so far. Um, okay, so you you think that the wine tasting experience is going to get even more focused on trying to keep people there for as long as possible. Right. And I think it's going to become more interesting and more fun. This is a terrific time to start but jumping into that. Don't you think, though, that the average person who is out tasting wants to try to cover as many tasting rooms as possible in an afternoon because they only have so much time? You know, why do you have to go to five instead of three? Are you going to appreciate that wine even more? I am an advocate of limiting yourself. Don't try to hit six or eight wineries in a day. Well, well first of all, you can't. You can't. You yeah. can't. If you're going to really have a nice experience, it's going to be four tops. I'm, Not the group, the four tops. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
but it's going to be four times. <laughs> right, right. All right. Things gotta, go downhill. We only got a few minutes left. A couple of other trends. Well, one related to what we were just talking about. I think that the companies Uber and Lyft might start being a game changer in wine touring. I don't even know what Lyft is. It's another taxi alternative like yes. Uber. Um, it tends to hit a younger audience. Well, Uber is making gobs of money in Napa and Sonoma right now. Right. They have a right. program that they unveiled. I think it was probably around a year or so ago, two years ago, maybe. I don't know. But they're already doing that. But I think that they realize that that's a huge opportunity for them. Oh, I think it is. And I think it's a terrific resource for wine tasters as well. You can avoid all of the trouble of being a little bit buzzed out there. You didn't want to spring for the whole limo. And it's a smart way to get around. There are a lot of now hop on, hop off services too, where they're just making the rounds constantly to the various wineries in an area. And like every half an hour, they're going to stop at that winery like clockwork and you can get on and go. I am a huge advocate of when you're wine tasting, do not drive. Absolutely. If you think for one second that the cops are more understanding because you're in wine country and you're drinking, forget about it. You should never subject yourself to that, ever. Agreed. Totally. Okay. Got time for one or two more. Completely different vein. I actually think alternative packaging is going to start breaking out in earnest. I think wine is going to show up in cans. Um, oh, Sarah. Your, your, your oh, face is not pretty on the swan. No, 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 no. I don't want wine in cans. I have had some canned wine, and by the way, it was terrible. <laughs> cans <laughs> add a flavor to things, a metallic flavor. They just do. They are lined. They're they're lined like a Coke can would be with some sort of but petroleum Coke, product. The difference between having a Coke out of a fountain versus Coke out of a can is like night and day. Well, can't disagree with you. What about boxes, boxed wine? Eh, you know what? I'm a big fan of boxed wine, particularly when you need a lot of wine for a particular affair. There is some amazing amazingly good boxed wine out there. Just lots and lots of yeah. it. Uh, really good quality boxed wine. And all you really need to do is Google boxed wine and you can see all kinds of reviews. There's not the large amount of boxed wine like there is wine in a bottle, but there's probably at least a dozen or maybe 20 companies that are making really, really, really good boxed wine. I agree with that. So let's hope this alternative packaging trend goes towards boxes, which really is good technology. It keeps the wine sound rather than towards can. And it's great because you're getting really the equivalent of four or five bottles in that box. And if you've got a lot of people coming over and you need to be economical in your wine expenses, then this is a great thing to do. It is. All right. We're out of time, Sarah. That's it. Too bad. Okay. All right. Well, you'll be back in our studios next week. Right. And happy to have you back for the foreseeable future here. It's good to be back. And I hope you have a wonderful 2016. You too, David. You never know what part of the country or the world the Grape Encounters microphones will take you to. Don't miss a single experience. Your Grape Encounter isn't over. We're just taking a breather until next week's edition.